Episode 35, Sabrina Moon, CEO of the Problem Solving Institute. The way that I would show up in the places that I was leading was like a hammer. In fact, I earned that nickname. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. And now on with the show. Well, hi, welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Graven. We're joined today by Sabrina Moon. Um, she is the founder and CEO of the Problem Solving Institute. Uh, like me, she's an engineer, unlike me, and I think this is really cool. She's a certified Dare to Lead facilitator, and, and that's based off of the work of Brene Brown. Is that right? Yes, it is. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, thank you uh, for being here and really looking forward to um, your story and uh, the conversation that we're going to have afterwards, Sabrina. So I guess we'll, we'll jump right in. What would you say is your favorite mistake? So uh, when I thought about this question, the list was long, uh, but the shortest answer is uh, using shame, using shame as a tool in my leadership roles in corporate America in the midst of business transformation or, you know, and then some. So using shame as a tool. So is there a particular story that comes to mind that kind of helps illustrate, you know, a situation where let's say maybe something went wrong? How did you react as a leader where shame was part of it? You know, this is, um, there's lots of stories and lots of instances. And I'm, and I'm going to share that before we, we came into this space, I listened to Jamie Parker's um, interview with you, which was which was awesome. I need to take her for virtual coffee. Um, she's my people. So listening to her talk about a recovering command and control leader, like immediately I was like, yes, aren't we all in some ways, especially if, um, you know, we've been leading in lean spaces or in manufacturing spaces for sure. Right. Um, so when I think about command and control, that's definitely how I was taught to lead. And when I think about that, I was taught um, by leaders and mentors who absolutely were passing on the baton to me and doing the best that they can. Mm -hmm. So as I tell these stories, um, and this story in particular, it'll be hard for sure, but the only way that we can really understand what I mean by using shame is to just go there. Yeah. So um, oftentimes when I think about command and control, it was for me usually a an intolerance for connecting with people and an intolerance for vulnerability or vulnerability in general. So um, the way that I would show up in the places that I was leading was like a hammer. In fact, I earned that nickname. Oh. Hammer. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, that you and I share general motors in common. I don't know if you knew yeah. that. Okay. Yes, I knew that. I don't have to Yeah. Um, that. So when you, when you say you were taught that, um, that resonates with me because if I wasn't careful, that's what I was going to be taught. And I rebelled against that, you know, kind of from the, the, the beginning. But, you know, there's no shame in following what, what examples being set for you in an organization. Exactly. 
So, and, and that's the thing, like what, what we're being taught as leaders, um, that was leadership at the time. And we're learning a lot of new information now about emotions and shame is an emotion, and, but we're learning a lot about that now and how it shows up in our workplaces and how it impacts our leadership skills. And we're also learning, this is new, like self-awareness skills, they are lacking in our leadership and our organizations. And we're, we just don't know what we don't know. So, um, you know, reflecting back a little bit on Jamie's story and what I really appreciated in her story was the self-awareness piece. Mm -hmm. So as she talks through how a mentor had, had said to her, how's that working for you? And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, I have to reflect back on how this is working for me. I applaud that skill and being able to be curious. So when I think, when I think about my missteps in using shame, Specifically, I think about a business transformation that I was leading in a small community, and it was really to save this organization from bankruptcy. The plant was facing bankruptcy. And I remember working 16 hours a day. I remember when I first walked into this plant, there were no, um, there were no stripes on the aisleway to know where you could walk or not be. So like when you walked in, you didn't know if you were going to get nailed by a fork truck or not. So um, in the midst of that transformation, there was a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of fear about people losing their jobs. And there were about three of us who had the skills, um, some that we, were, that we learned from General Motors, but some elsewhere to be able to transform this plant. And I would stand frequently out of the final line and I would have my, I think I used my cell phone at the time to capture cycle time. And we just could not get the rate we needed. We couldn't get finished goods out the door in the time that we needed. And I would use shame and the fear of shame to keep those people in line. And what I mean by that is I would say things like, what is wrong with you? You suck. You're an idiot. Or things like, suck it up. Here's what you need to be producing at the end of the line. And you're not. This has to be your fault. Because every time I take some, you know, times on the line, this has nothing to do with the equipment. It has everything to do with you. Mm-hmm. When I reflect back about those statements, those are not proud moments. Those are moments of me using shame in a way that was motivating that team temporarily, but it was also corroding trust mm-hmm. and creating an environment where people felt the need to, you know, come out swinging toward me. Right. So yeah, and in that specific example, I didn't know what I didn't know, though, Mark. Mm-hmm. Like I thought that that was leadership because I was taught to use that type of language. Right, and that's why you know there you you might feel bad about it, but I won't shame you individually again for for having modeled what was being um, taught to you explicitly and through example. I'm sure right. in that environment. Right, for sure. So even when we reflect back on your career. And if we were to think of those moments when um, shame was being used in the industries that you were leading, um, it was standardized and and normal. So commonplace, yeah. Yeah, and it was a reflection of leadership at the time. Okay, so now that when we think about that story, um, and it took me some time to look back and do my own type of self-continuous improvement, if you will, and my own leadership transformation. I had no idea, though, 
that the reason I was behaving in that way, yes, I thought it was because of how I was taught, but honestly, I didn't understand that I was in shame, hence the reason I was using shame. So let me unpack that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so when we when we say the word shame, it is um, considered the primitive master emotion that we all experience, but none of us want to talk about it. And when we think about Brene Brown and her research, she's really been the go-to person regarding emotions mm-hmm. and emotional literacy for leaders. And she really helps us understand vulnerability and shame. And shame is that emotion essentially that we feel when we feel something about us is inherently flawed, broken, or unworthy of belonging. And it shows up in our workplaces, something fierce because people are there. Mm -hmm. So when we think about that emotion and what it means for us, we have to understand how we behave when we're in that emotion. And this is where like self-awareness skills come in. So When I think about shame, there are three pattern ways that we behave when we're hooked by something like shame or really any tough emotion. We either use shame against people. So we become defensive or we like come out emotionally swinging. Right. Or we go into people pleasing behavior. So when we're in shame, then we seek to make sure everybody's taken care of. And lastly, we we withdraw and hide out from people when we're in shame. Mm -hmm. We disappear. Right. So when I said, like, I was using shame against this team, it was because I was in shame. That was absolutely true. That was a point in my life where I was struggling um, with the amount of hours I was working and also struggling to take care of a a sick mom with cancer. Mm -hmm. And when I would come into work, I would come in so ticked off because we still hadn't made any progress. We were still losing money. People's jobs were still going to disappear. And I didn't know how to do that differently. Sorry, right. my doorbell is ringing. That's yeah, like okay. the worst time. <laughs> um, uh, it's not really a mistake. That just happens. That's fine. <laughs> but the doorbell, yeah, like who's here? COVID yeah. times. Nobody's coming. No, that's fine. Um, so yeah, I I would frequently come into that plant frustrated because we hadn't right. made any progress and the changes we had committed to implementing the day before Mm -hmm. weren't implemented. So I was deeply feeling shame and I would offload Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my shame and my crap onto other people. So it became really easy for me to tell people that they were idiots and that no matter what they did, it wasn't going to be. So yeah, it was using shame to fight shame was my common go-to in the workplace. So yeah. Well, I mean, that totally reminds me of, um, you know, back when I was at General Motors. So I worked there right out of college. It was 95 to 97. Very traditional um, command and control leadership. There are a couple of them that I would really, um, the the word bully comes to mind very quickly. And, you know, the number two leader at our plant um, was notorious every single day. Um, we would do this production review meeting between first shift and second shift. And we, we have these um, kind of internal consultants that have been hired from Toyota suppliers and one was from Nissan. And they said, well, you need to track your hourly production and we'll do this daily review. Well, you know, uh, you know, you and I would now realize, Sabrina, the intent of a meeting like that is to just give visibility to where the issues are and to direct resources and to do problem solving in a constructive way. 
Well, that meeting became, um, you know, that data told this guy, Bob, basically who he needed to yell and scream at the most, which was not the intent of what any of this data or this review was supposed to be. And as a couple of us, we would have like these little side wagering pools for a dollar of like, which word is Bob going to say first? And I think this is shaming language. There would be, you know, he was bullying and there would be cursing. It would be, you know, calling people out in front of others. But the, the wager would always be, which word is Bob going to use first? Urgency or intensity? Because those were the two things in Bob's mind that was lacking. Like clearly that department or the plan as a whole was struggling only because people didn't care enough or they didn't try hard enough. And that was just ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous because, you know, do we honestly think for a minute? So when we we think back about our careers and you've talked to a lot of leaders, you've seen a lot of things. When we think back about our careers, do we honestly think that people got up that morning saying, you know what, I'm going to completely screw everything up that I can today. Yeah. And I want to make sure that I let Mark and Sabrina down as much as I can because I suck. Yeah. I mean, no, like people are not wired like that. Right. So, um, you know, the, the lacking self-awareness that we bump into sometimes, you know, some, a lot of our really yucky, ineffective leadership is absolutely happening outside of our self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it is up to us to dig in and get curious. And that's the hard part. That's the part that requires vulnerability to look within, to be able to say, okay, what do I own in this so that I can understand how I show up differently? Right. So um, with that said, I, I remember, I remember getting to that point of having to ask for feedback about how I was showing up. Mm -hmm. And that was tough. That yeah, was tough. Asking, who, who are you asking for feedback? Your employees or? Yeah, no, well, yes, eventually got to the point. But I was asking a leader that I respected. Like, ah, okay. I feel like I keep bumping into this thing that I don't know what it is. And I want to do this differently. I'm not, not really sure how. And I remember his feedback at the time was, you know what, Sabrina? Um, you come at people assuming that they are doing their worst, assuming that they are trying to intentionally screw some things up. And it was like, I don't want to come at people at all. That's not who I am. Yeah. Um, so, you know, how do I do this differently? And that started the, really the transformation, a five-year transformation process of unpacking shame, mm-hmm. um, how it showed up for me, how I could learn to do things differently. How could I approach anyone, regardless if it was a business transformation, from a place of, I believe they're doing the best that they can, um, and hold them accountable at the same time? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's where understanding shame and shame resilience skills really kind of saved my professional career. Do, do I still screw things up? I mean, yes. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I like the well, if something's become a habit um, that it's, can be really hard to break. For sure. For sure. Because you know what? We we have seen results when we use shame. Or at least in the short term. For sure. I, I was going to ask earlier, like when you said, well, you know, it, it was it was motivating. Like, was it motive? I mean, was it was it really motivating? Um, or if it was, is it just not sustainable? Yeah, it's definitely um, 
So we use shame and the fear of shame to motivate, but I think in a, in an unhealthy way, it's for me, I would utilize shame because it was the last tool in my toolbox. And I was desperate. Like I needed results. I didn't want to wait. And I knew if I would talk to people using shaming language, they would move. Mm, like okay. They would physically move and get things done. So in my mind, I made the decision that it was motivating. Yeah. At what cost though? When I started seeing that team members did not trust me, um, and there was a lot of what we call back channeling happening as a result, which was, um, you know, talking about each other and not to each other. So we couldn't really do any effective problem solving because there wasn't any trust. And then, then you started seeing apathy set in and exhaustion and all the other things that come as a result. So somebody has to go first to change that. And it's not them. Yeah. Well, I I was going to ask, um, you know, you mentioned earlier saying a lot of times or too often leaders are not self-aware. Um, I, I was going to ask you, what was the moment where you realized like something clicked and like, okay, this is not effective. Was it that you, you I think you already alluded to it. Was it that, was it that feedback? And, and if, and if so, maybe to elaborate on that, I mean, there, there's risk that that moment didn't happen. Like yeah. how would your career have progressed differently without that? You know, great question. When I think about the what ifs, um, I was promoted often and quickly in the roles that I was in. And, um, you know, there's a chance I could have been promoted more, mm-hmm. but um, there was definitely, for, I can guarantee that I would have not, you know, promoted from within. I wouldn't have felt good about me mm-hmm. because there was often that feeling of something isn't right. And I feel like I'm the common denominator. So I was feeling worse and worse and worse as I was earning more and more and more and getting bigger titles and responsibilities. So with that said, um, I think, I think had I not learned that things would have been drastically different, Mm -hmm. probably with, uh, you know, some walking papers along the way. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I had that moment of help me understand, you know, what is it within me that's not working well. And then once I got the courage and the practice to step into those types of conversations and get more and more feedback, I started getting better at it. Mm-hmm. And then I really started looking within. So within. What, what, what I hear you saying is um, that there was uh, in different words, like sort of just the, this, this, um, this discomfort. Of like, well, this like, and, and and trying to unpack and figure out what was causing the discomfort, which I guess led to the request for feedback, and then realizing, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, what I hear you saying is, you know, re- recognizing a gap between how I'm acting or who 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 am who I'm being at work versus who I am or who I want to be that 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 built up and and led to you asking for that feedback. I guess it wasn't just a chance occurrence. Yeah, I absolutely felt there was a huge gap between who I was and how I was leading. And some of the messages and expectations around who I needed to be as a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, I often struggled with how, how kind and how much I should care about the people I was leaving, leading. Mm -hmm. Like, should I actually care how well they're doing? Um, 
should I, should I understand what's happening in their lives or should I just drop the hammer on them? You know, that there was a constant struggle between the two and I was misfiring and misaligned on a regular basis that I would go home and you could just, I could just feel it. Yeah. And then I would never stop talking about work and how frustrating it was and how people wouldn't work with me in ways that I had hoped. So it was a golden opportunity for self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of gold in that failure. Yeah. Well, but it's good you took advantage of that opportunity for self-discovery. And and it sounds like you know, when you, you were getting that feedback, you weren't um, in denial about it, but you you it, you realized, yeah, that's that's happening and that can change. Yeah, and I'm appreciative of the person who gave me feedback because they didn't come at me from a place of you suck, you're an idiot. So they didn't use shame on me. Um, mm-hmm. They were able to step into, you know, a, a place of compassion and empathy and say, hey, mm-hmm. you might want to look at this and I'll, I'll support you along the way for you to look at it. And then, you know, at that point, it really started to unfold. And then I was able to get um, dive deeper into my own self-awareness skills and how I was showing up and asking people often, like, how was that for you? Where can I improve? Right. Yeah. Nice. It's the crux of what we do now, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what we do now. And, you know, it's interesting to look back and think about our own mistakes and growth and development. Um, I just want to come back. Um, you, you talked earlier uh, offloading the shame and kind of quick story back at you. Again, I'm thinking I'm thinking of old Bob. And um it's this you know, it's kind of kind of a Chicago Saturday Night Live kind of accent that he uh, that he had kind of like one of the uh, the super fans, and um, I remember when I was getting ready to get out of there and go to grad school, I felt a little bit more brave. But basically, um, like another engineer and I were in Bob's office, and he was putting on a show. He intentionally turned around, dialed the phone on the credenza behind him, got it on speakerphone, and just cursed and yelled and screamed at one of the production area managers that I supported as an engineer. And it was just one direction yelling, and poor Todd was just, well, but, but just stamp, you know, Bob was just laying into him. So Bob got off the phone and I asked him some form of that help me understand question. Like, help me understand what was going on there. Well, how was that? helpful. I don't remember the exact words, but I kind of challenged him. Like, so what's going on here? And then he basically went on to explain what you described as offloading the shame. He said, basically, well, I yell at Todd because my boss called and yelled at me and his boss called and yelled at him. He basically traced it up and blamed the uh, the General Motors board of directors. I kid you not. He was basically saying like, that's just the culture here. And okay, fair enough. I don't know how much tension he felt because I almost heard him saying, well, this is what I'm expected to do, which is different than just saying, oh, yeah, I I mean, he probably wasn't going to say I love being a a bleep hole. (laughs) But I'd be curious, you know, if I could go back in time and ask him, well, how how comfortable does that behavior make you feel? That might have been pushing it a bit too far. (laughs) I might have gotten thrown out. Yes. You know, and I think back about that too, Mark. I think I think back about the moments even when my boss or someone had approached me with shaming language because, you know, it, it happened a lot. And, you know, I didn't have the skills then to not only walk myself 
through um, really, I didn't have resilient skills Mm -hmm. to be able to understand what I was up against because I was not paid to feel at work. I was not paid to talk about emotions. I was paid to get get it done at all costs. Yep. I was paid to think and do, not to feel. Well, this was, this was the hard lesson. Like I needed to learn how emotions were impacting my work. So did my bosses, but it wasn't up to me to carry my boss's stuff or to deal with their emotions. It was up to me though, to take care of me and then lean into the hard conversation if, and when it warranted itself, which I usually never did it. Not with senior leaders. Like if something was offloaded my way, it was my job to be the people pleaser at all costs. Yeah. Like, how can I make sure you're okay? And then I would drop the hammer and offload my shame, you know, under the teams I was leading. Right. And even in class one railroading, you know, that eight years of that work, that was pretty commonplace too. And it, again, it got results, but the offloading, as I've learned is really what we do when like we, we blame and shame when we are feeling uncomfortable and we're feeling pain. And when we don't have kind of an emotional language, then it's just easy behaviorally to cause pain for other people versus mm-hmm. healing our own and dealing with it. But, you know, if I were to reverse time, I would love to be able to say exactly to your point to my bosses and to my leaders, Hey, you know, what's happening for you right now? Like, are you, are you all right? Cause <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like you're all right. And I'm not sure that this is going to be effective. Like what can I do right now? As opposed to, you know, taking the lash and you just need a break. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't have those skills then, but mm-hmm. yeah, we have them now when we were getting better. Yeah. yeah. And one other thing, just a, an aside, um, another thought that came to mind, you know, we're talking about these manufacturing environments and th- this is more of, you know, somehow human dynamics. And, and maybe this is what you learn through, um, you know, your study of uh, Brene Brown's work, which I, I only have the most superficial um, um, knowledge of myself. So, um, but in healthcare, this, this, this human behavior, it's so common, the shaming tendency, like people all throughout healthcare, they say, Oh, right. Yeah. Naming, blaming, and shaming that that's the norm. It's, um, and it's, it's so dysfunctional and and so harmful, um, in so many ways ends up being harmful to patients. It harms the careers, um, of, of people working in, in that, in that environment. And that's pre COVID. Right. And it's, I mean, I would ask, has it gotten worse since COVID? I mean, have you seen it getting even, even um, more? Well, because I'm, I'm not, because I'm not, I haven't traveled for work in eight months. I, I don't have quite the insights firsthand that, that I had um, when I was traveling, but I mean, there's no shortage of um, news reports within industry news and even general news publications about how bad the burnout is in healthcare and how, um, at their last, at you know, just they're 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 they've they've been overwhelmed and and exhausted. And you hear stories of people not being able to take a day off, you know, for how many weeks or months, and um, pulling double shifts because colleagues are quarantined. Um, I can't imagine it. I mean, I can't imagine it's gotten better. But I think there are positive examples where the culture has been positive to begin with, and yeah. people are engaged and. Um, it's it's less of that top down command and control style. I you know I imagine the, the the health systems that have had that more participatory 
culture um, are doing better. And I've heard reports of that, which is good. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I've been following your work for four years maybe now. And um, I'll, I'll never forget a conversation you and I had had, I think on, on LinkedIn at some point, um, that's just really given me a lot of respect for what you do and how you're leading. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase this. You may or may not remember it, but I remember, I remember thinking um, we were talking about a lean transformation or something along the lines. And I remember you making a statement publicly that people are complex that, you know, it's not just so simple that we can apply a label on people like, and I think your words were, I'm a chatty engineer, I'm a chatty engineer, or I'm a, chatty social, introvert. oh, a chatty introvert, yeah. or like a, a social, I don't know, you gave me some dichotomies about, you know, people. And I don't know, it gave me a lot of respect for you, because it helped me really start practicing, um, you know, a behavior uh, where where I'm committed to being a learner and getting it right versus being a knower and being right. Mm. And, you know, when we're under a lot of stress, including a pandemic, we're potentially on our worst behaviors. So, you know, sometimes we just, you just, we just don't know about people. We have to be willing to extend them some grace and mm. then and recognize when we need our own breaks. And well, you've, been a, you've been an example of that in our social media well, community, just so you know that. Okay. Well, thank you. And I mean, you use that word grace. That's something I've tried to be better at during the pandemic. Um, small example, Starbucks gets your drink wrong. Yeah. Stuff like that. You know, where I, you know, I, I'm not going to yell. I'm, it's not me to yell and curse and scream, but um, I, I, I mean, I, you know, it might be a matter of tone or look on my face where I let it be known that I'm upset I try not to let stuff like that bother me because back to that point of like, oh, it's just a simple mistake. They can fix it. Yeah. What's the big deal? So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be more gracious about um, situations like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I do think we're all doing the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Sabrina, can you tell us a little bit more um, about, about the company that, that you founded Problem Solving Institute. And um, it was fun a couple of minutes talking about um, the type of work you do, how people can t- contact you. But but first off, yeah, how, how would you describe the Institute and the work that you do? So, I, yeah, I started my business with the intent of um, really centering on process improvement and business transformation. So the consulting, it's a, it's a consulting business. And mm-hmm. the consulting work that I was primarily focused on was that. So business efficiency, operational excellence. And what I kept finding was that people were contacting me for leadership help. Mm. Um, So help my team, my frontline workers aren't talking to each other, there's no trust. So I kept being asked for that. And then I recognized um, that that was part of my niche. But then I also recognized that's really the core of what problem solving is. Because we, we can't do any of the transformation work until we have some level of trust and willingness to communicate. Right. So um, the crux of what I do now is a lot of leadership development work, um, a lot of dare to lead work, part of Brene Brown's work, obviously. So I, I help leaders and organizations develop self-awareness skills and have hard conversations. Mm-hmm. I still do some transformation work in the background. 
Yeah. So that self-awareness can be developed. That's a good thing to hear. It's a skill. It's a teachable skill. And I mean, imagine some of those difficult conversations might involve somebody being told they need to be more self-aware or like, or how often is it someone coming to you saying, I individually need help versus an organization saying, oh, these people need help. You know, occasionally I will have a leader of an organization, you know, kind of point the finger and be like, it's my team. Um, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. Usually leaders that okay. reach out are often willing to discover things about themselves too. So they want to be a part of the process. So, and one of the really big things I'm proud of right now is doing work with law enforcement. So I work heavily uh, with law enforcement leaders and um, they're very similar to operations leaders. Mm. Um, Mm. Maybe that's a podcast for later, but you know, there's a lot in common. In terms of shaming or command and control. I mean, there is quite literally a rank, command structure. Yep. Yep. And they're in that uh, 24-7 environment where, you know, they're on. So a lot of hypervigilance, same with ops leaders. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of similarities between um, those environments and what they do in mm-hmm. public service. So um, there's opportunity for, for growth for them too. But it's it's great work. That's, yeah. very, that's very interesting. Um, well, great. Well, our, our guest again has been Sabrina Moon. Um, I want to mention first before getting um, URLs and contact info, I was going to mention um, the episode with Jamie Parker that Sabrina mentioned was uh, episode eight. If you want to go back and find that, you can find it in the podcast feed or you can go to markgraven.com slash mistake eight. Um, I also want to mention and give a shout out because I really enjoyed the conversation you had, Sabrina, uh, with our mutual fun- friend, Paul Critchley on the New England Lean podcast. So um, I would encourage you if you want to hear, uh, you know, a different conversation, touches on some of the same points. But actually, I heard that conversation and reached out to Sabrina and said, let's take a deeper dive into um, basically the the my favorite mistake you had brought up in Paul's podcast. So um, thank you for doing that, Sabrina. And thank you for being open to coming on here and, and exploring that. Thanks for the invite and for your leadership, Mark. We appreciate you. Well, thanks. And um, uh, before we go, Sabrina, what's uh, your website? How can people find you online? Uh, you can find me. The website is problem si, like problem solving institute, but shortened.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn pretty heavily. Facebook um, is another place to reach out and connect. Um, yeah. Great. <laughs> problemsi.com. And again, um, thank you so much to Sabrina Moon, founder and CEO of the Problem Solving Institute. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.